Let us pray. Our Father God, you are God over all. To be blessed forever, amen. You are worthy of all our adoration and praise. And we come to you as needy people, as a church that is needy, as a world and a community out here that is needy. And you are the God who provides, who blesses and who delights to give and give and help and encourage and strengthen and bless. So we pray that as we look into your word, you will presence yourself here in a very special way. And for those watching online that in their lounge room or wherever they might be, they may also experience your presence and your illuminating spirit to awaken and teach and lead and apply these words to us, we pray. So we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a new year. And uh, I hope you've caught up on sleep. How many stayed up till midnight? <laughs> a few. Well, we actually got to bed at 11.30, but were woken up by neighbours with their yahooing and the crackers and stuff. Um, about half an hour later. But anyway, there you go. I am taking this Sunday the message on the mission of the church. Then uh, after Garth has been here for two Sundays, uh, that's uh, for those who are not aware, he is a prospective um, pastor who uh, the church is looking at, at appointing as a permanent pastor, as I'm just interim, until that occurs. And he's coming for two weeks from Queensland and look forward to meeting him in the next two Sundays. Then after that, I will look at our vision as a church. New Year's resolutions. Well, they started way back. And apparently it harks back to the Middle Ages where knights of the round table, those knights would place their hands on a live peacock, believe it or not, and make the what's called the peacock vow, a New Year resolution to renew their vow of chivalry. And that means um, it was a vow that said they were to fear God and his church, to serve the king in valour and faith, and protect the weak and defenceless. So every year they made that vow that that was what their mission was for the next 12 months. Today... Um, this has become a tradition just to make a New Year's resolution. I won't ask you to put up your hands if you've made a New Year resolution. Most people have given up on it. <laughs> it doesn't last much longer than a few weeks, maybe. Um, I don't know. Um, but what happens is we tend to make resolutions about stuff that we've been wanting to do anyway or have been trying to do, like lose weight or do more exercise or save some money or whatever. And um, it's what we've been wanting to do. But when it comes to the new year, you look at the blank calendar and there's nothing there in front of you and you think, right, I've got, it's a fresh start. I'm going to make a fresh start and I'm going to really commit to losing weight or to doing exercise or to um, um, not losing my cool so often or whatever it might be. And it's good. Uh, I'm not speaking against it. What I'm saying is that as a church, we, like the Knights of the Round Table, need to renew our 
commitment, our mission as a church. So um, it's a corporate New Year's resolution, if you like. This week, our mission. What is mission? I'm not talking about going out into the ends of the earth and preaching the gospel. That's included in our mission. But our broad mission as a church, who are we? And that's really what our mission is. Our mission is why we exist as a church under the overall purpose of glorifying God. What are we? Who are we? And why do we exist as a church? Is it just so we can have a good time on Sunday and, and, and enjoy some singing and stuff? Is, well, what is the reason we exist as a church? Then in two week, three weeks' time, we'll look at what our vision is, which is really how we then take our mission and how that will look in like five or ten years' time. If we truly fulfill our mission over the next ten years, then we will expect this in 10 years' time, and we have a vision statement. That's a vision that we're working towards, that we're looking forward to. And I trust that the new pastor will will lead the church to fulfil that vision. I'm sure he will, uh, along with the elders and the other leaders in the church. Zerubbabel, last week, we looked at Zerubbabel, remember? I thought I'd use him as an illustration here. If he had a vision statement, a mission statement for the group that was le- that left, with uh, Zerubbabel leading them and uh, Jeshua the high priest, they all left um, Babylon and went back to their land, to Jerusalem and the surrounding area. If they wrote a mission statement for them doing that, I wonder what they would have written down would have been something like this. Our mission is to lead the returning exiles to their land so they can settle there and live a normal life and also to rebuild the temple. Now, that's the mission statement. Now, the vision statement would be that in five years or ten years, um, at that time they would have said each family will be living on their property and farming the land or tending cows or whatever and that the temple will be rebuilt and the worship will have been restored in the temple. So that's the vision as what it would look like if they fulfilled the mission uh, that they had before them. So it's the same with the church. Our mission, why we exist. There are two essential purposes for the church. One, to be gathered. Two, to be scattered. One, to be gathered, to be called out of the world, to be a community of worshipping people, a body of Christ who are building up and growing to maturity and worshipping the Lord and serving and working together. That's to be gathered. We come together as the body of Christ. But we're also to be scattered, to be sent into the world to reach out with the gospel to those in our community and to the far ends of the earth. That is essentially the two purposes of the church, to be gathered, to be scattered. 
A number of churches these days are calling themselves the gathering. We went to one when we were in California and our uh, daughter and grandsons were, were going there occasionally and, and it was called the gathering. And uh, it was a, a, a wonderful church. We enjoyed it. So the ultimate purpose is, of course, to glorify God. And I would say that if we had a mission statement for the church, I've written one down that's my suggestion for the church. And it's, um, I did a longer one, but now I've reduced it down to this, which you'll see on the screen. We exist. That's the whole point of a mission statement. We exist to love God, to love people, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Very simple, but that's our mission, right? He calls us to love him, to love people, those in the fellowship and those in the community in the world. Love people and to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to bring people to faith and to teach them, to grow them, to mature them so that they become full, mature disciples of Jesus Christ. So that is, to me, a succinct mission statement. If we embrace something like let's say we take that on as our mission statement for the church. If we really embrace that and embody it, it expresses who we are then as a church. Um, and a church is made up of people, right? <laughs> Here we all are, and others watching online. People make the church. So if a church is going to be fulfilling that mission, then individuals in the church have to fill that, fulfill that mission. You, it doesn't separate. We have to have that as our personal mission statement if the church is going to make it a a mission statement that's real and effective. I went, I did a, a leadership training course called Caleb. I don't run it anymore. It was run by a Baptist minister from um, in North Melbourne. It was brilliant and uh, it was the best leadership course I've been on. And one of the things we had to do was to write our own personal mission statement. Keith, write down what why you exist as a person. What is, it, what is it really that you are about as a person? What's, what's, where's your life going? What, what, what is important to you? What are your values? And write it into a mission statement. That is my mission statement. And it was quite a challenge to think, well, now, really, um, not just the challenge of writing down what really was, is my mission statement, but then how to translate that into living it out. To, to become what I know is really to be uh, an expression of who I am or am meant to be under God. All right, so if we ordered our lives individually and then ordered the life and ministry and outreach of this church uh, to the mission statement of loving God, loving people, and making disciples of Jesus Christ, what are the key elements, if you drill down into that and uh, tease it out, what would be the essential elements from the New Testament that a church should be? There's lots of stuff, but let's reduce it down to I've got six. The first one is the church is a worshipping church. 
We're to love God and love people and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're to love God. You know, essentially, the Bible is all about God. The whole Old Testament is soaked in worship. The whole temple and tabernacle, the, the priests, the, the whole thing was uh, the feasts and all, everything was centered around the worship of God. And in the New Testament, it is the church's calling to first, first worship God. Philippians 3.3, for we are those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. When Paul was writing to say what the essential nature of the church is, he says that. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 21, be filled with the Spirit. Oh, we all know that part. Yeah, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Be being filled. A continual thing that's to be experienced in all of our lives. But he goes on to say, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody where? In your head? In your tongue? In your mouth? No, in your heart. Worship. Worship. Not just singing songs on Sunday, that the worship team pull together uh, and choose prayerfully what we should sing and then we just sing it along or do we worship? It's a challenge to me. So easy just to sing along the words. And God wants us to see that worship is the priority in a church. If we are worshipping God, everything else will flow out of that. A worshipping community, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Yes, it's, it's to remember our Lord, how he died and gave his life for us. His, his body was given freely in his Blood was shed, his life was given for us. But it's a remembrance in order that we might glorify him, honour him and thank him and praise him and worship him. So first of all, the church is to be a worshipping community. The church is also a loving community. To love God and to love people. If we were to do away with this church building and cease our Sunday morning services, could our church still exist? Would we still be able to call us a church? You know what? In the New Testament, the word church, it, it it's always re refers to people. It doesn't re ever refer to a building. It refers to people, always. The word ecclesia is used 115 times. That's the word that is translated church. It's used 115 times in the New Testament. And it means called out ones, a gathering, an assembly of people, a group who are called out 
and belong together. They met in homes. Paul writes to them in Rome and other places. He writes to those and, and, and occasionally they met like in Acts 20 in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, but it was just a hall that was available like a um, community hall or something. I don't, I'm not sure what it was, but I do know it, it wasn't a church building. It was just a place for them to meet. Uh, in Kenya, I remember, under the shade of a tree, all the people would come from the, their grass huts and things. Uh, was out in the, in the rural area of Kenya and so um, it was a very basic living, which, and I loved the people. That was fantastic. And here they were. They, they came from all their, their places, and they gathered under this huge tree, and they worshipped God. They were a church, a community who were drawn together, nothing to do with the building. No sound system, no lights, um, no online stuff. It was just the people. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's wonderful that we have a building and comfortable seats and, and technology and all the rest of it and musicians with guitars and stuff. But essentially, it's the people. In Brazil, I remember going to um, a house out in the middle of the jungles with my father um, when he was missionary there. And, and we travelled miles and miles. We walked along this track forever and through the jungles. And, um, and we came to this house that was um, right out there in the middle and the building of the house was there, and then beside it was uh, like a, um, I suppose, like a carport, except they didn't have cars. Um, and then on Sunday morning, people would travel because they lived, it was right in the jungle, so the government had given them huge blocks of land, like uh, a kilometre square, and it was free for anyone who would go from anywhere in Brazil to there, so they wanted to populate that area so that uh, it would be a, um, a part of their strategy. Uh, anyway, the thing is that these people travel kilometres on Sundays to come under that carport to meet and worship God and to learn of him. And in India, I remember being in the slums of Chennai and up on the roof of a house, uh, just a very small house, but it had a flat roof and we'd go up the stairs at the outside of the house, up the stairs, and then on the top of this house, a bit of a shade, and then the people would come from around about and we would meet to worship. It was beautiful. And that's when they were, they were singing, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, trust in the Lord and don't despair. He is a friend so true. No matter what your troubles are, Jesus will see you through. And, and, and it was just beautiful. These lovely Christian people meeting together, they didn't have much resources in any way, but they loved the Lord, they had the Lord, and uh, they were a church. All right, so the church is not a club, it's not an organisation, it's organic. And that's why I strongly encourage you, I know we've gone through a very difficult time where we've had lockdowns and we haven't been able to come to church and People have gotten used to going online and just watching online, but that's not church. It's wonderful that we can do that when restrictions occur, but hey, that is not church. Church is 
together one organic group of people, the body of Christ, interacting, loving and serving and working together and worshipping together. I encourage you, I strongly encourage you to, uh, to make a priority of meeting with God's people. The word fellowship, koinonia in the Greek, means sharing. It's a sense of belonging together. Fellowship in the local church. Fellowship involves care for one another, including financial and practical help for those who are in need. And fellowship is expressed in all the one another's. You know what? There's 50 one another's in the New Testament. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Build up one another. Teach one another. Admonish or lovingly correct one another. Live in harmony with one another. Agree with one another. Well, okay. Um, serve one another. Be subject to one another. Whoa, another whoa. Um, pray for one another. Forgive one another. Another whoa. Encourage one another. Be kind to one another. And it goes on. You can't do that when you're sitting at home in the lounge room. You can a little bit, but hey, the whole idea is corporate unity and love and fellowship together as the body of Christ. Romans 12.5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are connected with one another. Hey, Richard, I'm connected to you, mate. Oh, don't worry, I won't pick on you. I'll pick on Richard. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, God so arranged the body. This is the way he designed it, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffer, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. You can't do that in isolation. It's, it's a body. So we have three grandsons in rural New Zealand. We're connected to them organically. They are family. And this afternoon, every Sunday afternoon, we get online and we have a visual connection with them. But it's not the same as being there and putting our arms around them and, and playing, knocking a, kicking a ball around or whatever with these boys. And God wants us to kick the ball around with each other, put our arms around one another. All right, so we are profoundly bound together. It's a vital connection, and we're to, we're to be eager, it says in Ephesians 4, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this is despite the diversity. You know, the church is just a whole bunch of people flung together, right? You didn't choose... If when you started coming to this church, you didn't choose to come to this church uh, because you, you knew everybody here and you said, yeah, um, you came and for whatever reason you ended up coming here, but you are then flung together with everyone else that happened to come to this church and decide to, to make this their home. And you've got people of vast diversity. You've got people with uh, cultural diversity, age diversity. Good to see you, bro, up here playing your 
um, um, Hawaiian guitar. Is that what that's called? Yeah, great to see you up here. So age diversity, and we get the young kids. Last week we had three young kids up the front singing. That's beautiful. That's what a church is about. Age diversity, ethnic diversity. It's wonderful, and I love multi-ethnic churches. I think it's so important. And look, I believe that this area here has such a diversity uh, of races and cultures and peoples uh, that we should be reflecting that in the church. And we as a church should be aiming to be a multicultural church. Social diversity, some who are very rich financially, others who are, are, are really struggling. But we're all part of the body of Christ. You didn't choose your family. Think of your brothers, sisters, mum and dad and kids and stuff. You didn't choose them. Oh, well, maybe you chose your wife or husband, but otherwise everything else happened. But you love them. So the Bible says in Romans 15, 15, 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Listen to that. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Were you worthy of his acceptance of you? You look around your brothers and sisters and think, oh, you know, I'm not sure about that guy or that woman. That person annoys me. The Bible says, no, accept them just as Christ accepted you. All right, we've got to move along. So there's a challenge of segregation. A homogeneous church is a church that is just for old people or just for young people or just for an ethnic group or whatever. And although these happen, like the Hillsong Church is for young people. It's young adults. That, that's the whole focus, young adults. And there's a few grey hairs there, but in the main, you look at the congregation and it's, and it's young adults. That's a homogeneous church for young adults. And I'm not, I'm not speaking against Hillsong. They do a wonderful work and I love their music. But the real New Testament church is not homogeneous. It is a mixture of all with diversity. And then the challenge of individualism, not just the challenge of segregation, but the challenge of individualism where Aussies are rugged individualists and we are independent and self-sufficient and we're free from the obligation of, uh, to others, but not in the church, no. We are dependent. We're, each member we had, uh, we read in Romans 5, each member belongs to the others. So I belong to you and you belong to me. We're family. The church is thirdly, and I'll move faster now because I know I spent a lot of time on that, but it was important. We're to love God, we're to love others, and we're to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And the, the, the next point is that a church is a learning community. In Acts 2, the church devoted itself, itself to the apostles' doctrine, teaching. Paul said, in Acts 20, I, uh, to the church, he, he said to them, I'm free from the blood of all of you because I did not um, hold back from teaching you the whole counsel of God. He wasn't free from the blood of those people until he taught them everything. In other words, 
he had a divine responsibility to make sure people understood Genesis to Revelation. The whole counsel of God. That's why we have pulpit ministry. That's why we have small groups. And later, um, if I'm still here, I want to emphasize the importance of small groups and we'll try and engender an interest in developing those groups and starting new groups because you can only have a certain amount of fellowship in a big community gathering like this, but when you meet in small groups, you'll learn, but you also are um, connected to one another in a special way, pray for one another and uh, pastorally care for one another. Anyway, uh, make disciples, Jesus said. How? In, in the Great Commission where it says, go into all the world, make disciples, um, make disciples is the only command. All the rest supports that one command. So you make disciples by going into the world. You make disciples by teaching them to observe, not just head knowledge, observe all that I've commanded you. I missed out baptism in a Baptist church. How would I do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's theology there. It's not just baptizing them, but in the name of Singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's, that's our commission, to make disciples by teaching them. Comprehensive, all that I've commanded. Transforming, observe, teaching them to observe, to practice, to live out. And so we have... A church is a teaching community. Um, the next one is a, a church is a serving community where God has given gifts, spiritual gifts to everyone, not just those who are doing upfront stuff, not those who are doing back stuff, not those who are just running the kids program. Everyone has at least one spiritual gift with the purpose that you will use that gift to build others up in their faith. What's your gift? Not sure? Well, again, if I have the opportunity, I will present a, a, a guide to help you find your gifts. And, and um, I can give you the uh, thing to download on if you want to, so you can do that now if you would see me afterwards. But... <clears throat> finding your gift. Basically, a gift is something that you can do, that you like to do, even though you might feel apprehensive at times, uh, but you, you like to do it and that God uses you in it. That's the key factor. It's a gift. It's not just a talent where you can do something and like to do it, but where God uses you. So we had read to us Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If service, oh, you know, serving in the kitchen, work, working out in the yard or doing whatever you're doing, is service or running someone to the doctors who doesn't have a car, that's service, but it's a gift. Some people are gifted. We all should do service, but some people are gifted in it. That's their calling. They serve. And, and it says uh, in, our, in one of the teachers, in his teaching, 
The one who, and by the way, that's not just pulpit teaching, it's in the group, it's one-to-one, it's writing books or courses or things, it's writing, all forms of teaching. Not everyone is gifted uh, in one or the other. One who exhorts in his exhortation. Again, we all should exhort one another, but some are really gifted at that. One who contributes in generosity. So we all give money to missions and to the church and to help people in need and stuff, but some people have a real gift at it. God uses them in it. One who um, leads with zeal and one who, acts, uh, who does acts of mercy. We should all do acts of mercy, but this one is gifted in it and does it with cheerfulness. So a serving community. And next we are a missional community. So we are called to go out. The divine mandate is there to go out. And all the Gospels, everyone on the, at the end of the Gospels has this mandate. Go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew. Uh, Mark, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And by the way, that's reinforced by the same author, Luke in Acts 1, where he says, you will be my, quotes Jesus saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in John's gospel, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We are on a mission. We are an ap- apostolic church in that sense, because the word apostello means mission. A missionary is an, um, the same word as apostle. A person who goes, who's sent, That's the idea behind the word, sent with the gospel to make disciples of all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. For us, Jerusalem is Pakenham. It's our local community here. It's our neighbours. It's our workmates. It's our people we rub shoulders with. His mission, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, is our mission. Even so, I send you. Jesus left the 199 or talked about, sorry, the, the shepherd who left the 99 who were safe and went out for the one that was lost, showing the priority that God has, that Jesus has, on the lost. And that should be our priority as a church. Paul in Acts 19 says, I consider my life worth nothing to me, If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. It's not worth living if I don't fulfill that task. That's what God has called us to. And as a church, that's what God has called us to. To actively Be engaged in evangelism as a church, but as individuals, because again, the church is made up of individuals. So an evangelistic church will be filled with evangelistic people. And finally, we have the divine means. Lo, I am with you always. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus said, until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So we don't do it alone. He calls us to be a 
missional church, a missional community. And all of these finish up with the one that is like an umbrella over every other previous one. That is where to be a praying church, a praying community. It's key to every area. You know, in the New Testament, whenever there's anything significant happens in the early church, it was accompanied by prayer. It was preceded by prayer. You look at the book of Acts and see all that happened and the praying that accompanied it. If this church is going to move anywhere, it's got to be a praying church. And I know that there's a bunch in the church who are very motivated to pray, but there needs to be a bigger bunch motivated to pray. What do you think, Don? I, I want to hear it louder, mate. Amen. Amen. Let's do it. All right, finish with this. Many years ago, a lighthouse on a very dangerous coastline and the keeper used to have to go into a town some distance away to get oil for the light, to keep the light burning. And so once a month he would go and get enough oil for the next month's shining of the light at night to keep the ships from going on the rocks. On one particular bad winter they had, a widow came to him and said, oh, look, I, my kids can't stay warm. We need oil for our heater. Would you please lend us some or give us some from your big tank of oil that you've got for your light? He said, oh, it wouldn't hurt to give you a bit. So he filled a can of oil for her and sent her on her way. Then a farmer came to him and said, um, we need oil for a lamp so we can, our kids can read and continue their learning. And others came to him, and so gradually he gave them a little here and a little there. And the oil tank eventually ran dry. And that night, a ship was wrecked on the rocks because there was no light in the lighthouse. Many lives were lost. And when a government official investigated, the man explained what he had done and why. Giving good, well, had good reasons. A poor widow had no heating and it was freezing. And, and the official said, you were given one task alone. Your task was to keep the light burning. Everything else was secondary. There is no defence. Now, I don't know how true that story is, but it rings true. We have one, one task. To love God, to love people, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's do it. Father in heaven, we pray that we will do just that. As a church, Lord, that we will move forward with a mission, our mission, your mission that you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name, amen.